Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning. Welcome to Silverdale Baptist Church. It's so awesome to see all of you here worshiping with us today. Uh, I'd like to welcome all of you here at our Bonnie Oaks campus. also like to welcome those of you that are at our Creekside service, or North Udawa campus, or St. Elmo, or those of you worshiping online, and of course, those that are at our new Bridges service as well. Um, we now have 11 weekend worship services, and so I am so thankful that you are a part of one of those services here today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm Tony Walliser. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege today to share with you God's Word. So this is what I encourage you to do. Go and take your Bibles and open up to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13. You can turn to Hebrews chapter 13. You've got a smartphone. You can open that app, the Hebrews 13 as well. And then do this. Take out these Bible study outlines that we provide for you. We give you these outlines so that you can follow along and take notes as we've been studying God's Word together. As you know, we've been studying through the book of Hebrews for a number of months now, and now we're in the final chapter, and we're actually going to cover the entire chapter, chapter 13, in one sermon, okay? And so you better hang on. We're going to go for it, all right? And the thing is, is next week, we're going to begin a brand new series called Reasons to Believe. It's an apologetic series on why we can know we have a true authentic faith, okay? But as we're studying Hebrews chapter 13, what we see is that for 12 chapters, the writer of Hebrews has been giving us all this doctrinal truth about Jesus and what he's done for us and how we approach God through Jesus Christ. And it's amazing all the things that Christ did. And now in chapter 13, it's like the writer is saying, hey, I got to give you some practical application. How do you live this thing out? And that's chapter 13. And so hopefully today's message is going to be incredibly practical for you today. It's sort of like this. A few weeks back, I read a story about this young pastor at a small congregation and was preaching about how it's hard to love our enemies. And he asked the question, he says, how many find it hard to love your enemies? And everybody raises their hand except for one elderly lady in her 90s. And he says, you don't have a hard time loving your enemies? And um, she goes, no, I don't have any enemies. And he's like, well, golly, I'm going to learn a lot from this lady. Well, tell me how somebody your age does not have any enemies. She goes, I've outlived them all. <laughs> well, hopefully today's message is going to be a little bit more practical than outliving your enemies, okay? And so how do you live out your Christian faith? Well, what we're going to discover is that the, the apostle who wrote this book gives us seven principles, and that if you are going to live your faith out, once you have the establishment that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, how do you now live that out? Seven principles that we're going to find from Hebrews chapter 13. 
So I want you to jot it down. Number one, the first one is this, is that you need to demonstrate love to others. Demonstrate love for others. Jesus said that the way the world will know that we are truly his disciples is the way that we love one another. Check it out. Look at how this is written in verse one. Let brotherly love continue. That means that we need to have a family kind of love here. Now, let's admit, I mean, it's a little hard sometimes to have a family kind of love in a large sanctuary like this, in a large church even. And so that's why we encourage you, get involved in a small group because it's going to be in your small group that you're going to have the family kind of relationship and dynamic and the family love that you really so desperately need. But we are supposed to be loving each other like family. But it's not just right here. We're supposed to take that love outside these walls. Check it out. The next verse, verse 12, I mean, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels. Now, hospitality, I believe, is a lost art in our day and time. Everybody's so busy coming and going. Nobody has the time to, you know, throw out the welcome mat and say, hey, why don't you come over for dinner? And yet we are called to have hospitality. If you read the Gospels, like the Gospel of Luke, you'll discover that one-third of Jesus' ministry happened around meals. Hospitality is a really big thing. In fact, the Bible says here that, you know what? If you're doing that, you may actually have entertained an angel. Now, you may go, I don't think I've ever met an angel before. Well, maybe you're not doing hospitality enough, right? That's what the Bible says. Show hospitality even to strangers. But then it continues. Those that are in prison, look at it, verse 3. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated since you are in the body. Now, you know that the early Christians, they were persecuted because of their faith. Many of them were arrested. Many of them were in prison because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And even right now, around the world, there are thousands of Christians that are in prison because of their faith. And you know what? I believe that that may be coming to America as well, that we, you and I, we may be thrown in prison one day because of our faith in Jesus Christ. But the point is that no matter where a person's at, you and I are to demonstrate love for them. We're to get practical. We're to get real with them. We're going to demonstrate love to them. Now, why is this important? Because Jesus said, you know what? If you love people like that, you're actually loving me. Check it out. Look how Jesus said this in Matthew 25, 40. Jesus said, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You see, you and I, we were the strangers. We were the outcasts. We were the ones on the outside looking in. And Jesus befriended us, right? And that's what we've got to do. We've got to decide, okay, I'm going to show hospitality to strangers and make them guests. And then hopefully make them my friends. And then hopefully they will become brothers and sisters in Christ. That is what we're called to do. We're called to have that kind of love and hospitality to our world. Um, you've probably heard of Pastor Tony Campolo. He's a, a famous Christian speaker. He was actually speaking at a conference in Hawaii. And um, he was there, and he, you know, was um, jet-lagged, and he couldn't sleep, and he was a little hungry. So it was 3 o'clock in the morning, and so he decides, you know what, I, I, I'm going to find some place to eat. So he's looking around. Only place he could find open was a bar. So he goes in. He's got a bar and grill, and so he gets a sandwich there to eat. And um, as he's there sitting in the booth next to him, are two prostitutes. And one of them is sharing how tomorrow's her birthday and no time in her entire life has anybody ever celebrated a birthday with her. And suddenly in his heart, it was like the Lord spoke to him and says, you throw her a birthday party. 
And so, sure enough, the next um, evening, that's what he did. He, um, he okayed it with the bartender, and he made a cake, and, and got a cake, and, you know, the friends were there and had a birthday party. And she was just so emotional. She was crying. She goes, I'm, nobody's ever given me a cake my entire life. And, and then she was so emotional, she says, I just need to call my daughter. And so she calls her daughter, and while, you know, she goes out to make a phone call, and Tony says to the guests that were there, hey, why don't we pray for her right now? And the bartender says, I didn't know you were a pastor. And he goes, yeah, I am. And he goes, well, what kind of church do you pastor? And um, he says, the kind of church that throws parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And um, he goes, there's not a church that exists like that. If there was, I would join it. See, the fact is, is that's what we're called to be. We're called to love people like Jesus Christ. Now, why is this so important? Because, look, The next two points of our message are going to cut against our culture. And if our culture only hears the rules of Christianity and never experiences the love of Christianity, they'll never receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So the first thing we're commanded to do is we are to demonstrate love to one another here in the church and outside as well. Okay? That's the first step of following Jesus. Second is this. Jot this on your outline. Avoid sexual immorality. You and I, we need to avoid sexual immorality. Now, that is a Christian distinctive that is contrary to our world. You see, God has given us the gift of sexuality, but God has put boundaries on that gift, and that boundary that God gives us is marriage. Check it out. Look at the next verse, verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Years ago, when my kids were young, we went to a family wedding in Colorado, and it was a long trip, and we were staying in, um, you know, the groom's house, and um, my kids just happened to be, you know, rambunctious, and we're jumping up and down on his bed, and the groom comes in, and he sees my kids jumping on his bed, and he says, hey, let the marriage bed be undefiled. (laughs) Of course, that's not what this is talking about, jumping on the bed. It's talking about, you know, honor marriage. And, and yet, we've got a problem in America. Marriage is no longer honored today, right? I mean, the fact is, is that the divorce rate in America is one of the highest in the world. And, and, and the fact is, is that most couples, they, they live together, you know, and don't even plan on getting married. Or if they do get married, they don't realize statistically, if you live together first, you're more likely to divorce later on. And then in 2015, you know, the Supreme Court redefined marriage basically said that marriage is basically between any two consenting adults. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that marriage is between one man and one woman. Look at how Jesus put this. Jesus said this in Matthew 19, 5. He's talking about marriage. He says, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. You see that? One man, one woman. That is marriage. Now, that's to be honored by all, the Bible says, Now, the problem is, is that there's ways that we dishonor marriage. Well, how's that? Well, look at the rest of verse 4. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. You go, what's that? Where do you see that word sexually immoral? It's one Greek word. It's pornea. We get the word pornography from it. And basically, it means whenever you have a sexual relationship outside of marriage, right, that is pornea. Homosexuality, that is pornea, Okay. What else? Well, there's also adultery. That means that if you're in a marriage and you have a sexual relationship outside of that marriage, that is adultery. And God says both of those are serious and they dishonor marriage. 
Now, that's what the Bible teaches on marriage and sexuality. Now, the problem is, is our world hates to hear those things, right? You know, the fact is, is that people reject the Bible not because it contradicts itself. People reject the Bible because it contradicts them. And we have a new God in our culture today. It is the God of sexual immorality. And, and the fact is, is that you speak against it, it's, it's like blasphemy to our world. And just like, you know, in Christianity, you got different denominations. You may have Baptist or Catholic or Presbyterian. Well, the denominations of the God of sexual immorality is L, G, B, T, and Q. And you don't dare say anything against that. Why? Because that is blasphemy in our culture today. I mean, just this week, um, the Tampa Bay Rays were going to have a pride night. And so they were asking all of their players to wear a pride hat and a pride patch on their uniform. Well, there were five players, all of them Christians, said, we, we do not feel comfortable wearing that. And they took a stand. They, they put out a statement that basically says, we're not trying to dishonor anybody. We love everybody. We respect everybody. You know, but the fact is, is that we are followers of Jesus Christ, and our bodies are committed to him, and we do not feel like we can promote something on our bodies that Christ is against. Now, can I just tell you something? Man, in the national media, they were crucified. They're a bunch of haters. They're a bunch of bigots. People said they need to be fired. They should never play Major League Baseball again. Now, why is that? I mean, 20 years ago, our culture would say to the church, hey, you know what? Let Just lighten up church, live and let live. And so we sort of did that, okay? You live your lifestyle, we'll live our lifestyle. But that's no longer the case anymore, is it? No, you must be proud of our lifestyle. You must promote it. You must applaud it. And if you don't, you are a hater. Well, here's the deal. We cannot govern the world, right? But in the church, followers of Jesus Christ, we got to follow his word. And that's what we cho choose to do. And God says as followers of Jesus Christ, the first thing we're commanded to do is to love everybody. But also there's standards within our sexuality. Now, you may not like these two. You may go, you know, I like the love part, but I don't like the sexual standard part. Or maybe you're like, you know what, I like the sexual standard part, but I don't like having to love people, you know, that are different than me. Well, guess what? Following a Jesus means you do both. And that's the balance of the word of God, okay? But there's a third thing that we do as followers of Jesus Christ and living out our faith, and it's this. Jot this down. Number three is we need to flee materialism. We need to flee materialism. This is another God of our culture. Why? Because we live in an economy that is completely consumer-driven, and so you're always bombarded with you need more, you need more stuff. Look what it says, verse five. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Now, sometimes the Bible's misquoted when people say, well, the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And see, whenever something's got our heart, it's replaced God and it creates evil in our lives. And you go, well, how do I know whenever money has become my God? Well, it's whenever you're no longer content with what you have. And guess what? It's hard to be content with what you have. Why? Because we are bombarded by a culture and by advertisement all the time saying, you need this, you must have that. If you want to be happy, you got to acquire this possession. So how in the world are we going to have contentment in a world that is totally discontented? It's in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Check it out. It's all about Jesus. Look at verse 5. For he, Jesus, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? 
See, if you've got Jesus Christ, you got enough. No matter what you're going on in your life, he promises to be your helper. He promises to be with you. You can pray to him, seek him, and he will provide for your needs. That's what the Bible promises. And even though you may not have all the stuff you want, you can learn to be content with Jesus Christ. Now, most people, you ask an American, and then you say, are you content? They say, yeah, I'm pretty content, but if I just had a little bit more, like how much more? And typically, it's 15%, right? It doesn't matter what social economic bracket you're in. You could be poor. You could be middle class. You could be rich. Everybody says, if I just had 15% more, then I'd be content, right? We, we always want a little bit more. But can I just tell you, learn to be content with what you got, right? I mean, did you know that in the, on the Internet, there's a website called the Global Wealth Calculator, and what you can do is you can type in your annual income and it'll compare it with the rest of the population in the world. And so the average Americans, you know, marriage, American salary in America, that includes, you know, high dollar places like New York and California, average salary, annual salary is $63,000 a year. If you type that up in the world calculator, you would be in the top one percentile. That means 99% of the rest of the world population makes less than you. You go, well, what if you make half that? Just 31000 a year. You type that in, you'll discover that you're still richer than 96% of the world's population. You see, we are wealthy and don't even realize it. We have so much stuff, so many possessions, but what is the problem? We haven't learned to be content with what we've got. Following Jesus means you learn to be content with what you have. Fourth thing is this. If you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to follow God's word. You want to live your faith out, you got to follow God's word. You see, following Jesus means, okay, I'm going to follow what God teaches me in his word. Look what it says, verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you, look at it, the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That means like, okay, pastors or small group leaders that teach you the word of God, follow God's word. Obey God's word. But not only that, look at the lifestyle of those individuals. Try to model your life after those that are following after Jesus as well. Why? Because think about it. The Bible is God's handbook. The Bible is, you know, it's like the owner's manual for your life. Don't you think if you follow, if you're the, God created you, don't you think if you follow what he designed for you, that your life would have human flourishing? Absolutely. In fact, research has proven that over and over again. Just recently, there was a, pre a Pew research that said that, you know, people that were very religious were happier and more content and had meaning in life when most of the world is not. Did you know that in the height of the pandemic, there was only one group that did not grow more anxious in the middle of the pandemic? Do you know what it was? Evangelical Christians. You go, how can that be? I mean, it's not as though, you know, we don't have troubles or trials or difficulties. Look, we live in a broken world, right? We, we have trials just like anybody else. We know this is in heaven, but what do we have? We have meaning and, and purpose and a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that produces life. And so follow God's word, and you'll be more blessed. And ultimately, the message of the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation, there's one primary message. You know, what is it? It's Jesus Christ. In fact, check it out. Look at verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the primary message throughout Christianity. It's all about Jesus Christ. Now, why is that important? Because our culture is going to change. Fads will come and go. 
And I've noticed that a lot of churches will have different flavors and emphasis. You know, some churches will really focus on, you know, you need to speak in tongues and and, the Holy Spirit, right? Some churches will be all about rules. You know, some churches will be about, you know, God wants to bless you and prosper you. And, you know, you need to be, you know, blessed by God. It's all about the blessings and prosperity of God. Some churches, they have some slant on some theology like Calvinism. I once heard J.D. Greer put it like this. He said, you know, some pastors always preach 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. What's that? John Calvin, John Piper, and John MacArthur, right? And, you know, some churches are all emphasizing is worship. Some churches, they emphasize some political social issue or, you know, or some platform going on. And look, all those things can be important. But the ultimate thing that you need to focus on is Jesus Christ. And if you drift away from Jesus Christ, you're going to drift away into false teaching. Notice the next verse, verse 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. You go, what's it talking about? It's talking about even in the first century, these Jewish Christians were, you know, drifting into legalism. Okay, you got to eat these foods and you can't eat those foods. Look, eat however you want to eat, but the fact is focus on Jesus. If you get away from Jesus Christ, you're going to find yourself getting into some kind of deviant doctrine. And so if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, what are you going to do? Okay, I got to follow God's word. But there's a fifth thing of how do you live your faith out. Number five is this, jot this down. You bring the gospel outside. You bring the gospel outside. That means you're willing to go where Jesus went. Check it out. Look what it says, verse 12. Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. You know this. Whenever Jesus was crucified, they didn't crucify him in the city of Jerusalem. They took him outside the gates of Jerusalem, and he was crucified outside the camp. But can I tell you, that basically describes all of Jesus' ministry. Jesus never fit in anybody else's camp. He never fit in anybody's religious camp. He never fit in anybody's political camp. Jesus did his ministry outside the camp. Why? Because he was always trying to reach the outsider. He was always trying to reach people that are on the outside. That's why Jesus didn't have a problem having a meal with a tax collector and sinner. Jesus could easily have a meal with a religious leader as well because Jesus loved everybody equally. Why? Because he came to seek and save the lost. And so must we. Look at the next verse, verse 13. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And so Jesus was a friend of sinners. We need to be a friend of sinners. So let me ask you, how many lost people do you know? The the problem with a lot of Christians, the longer they become Christians, the less and less, you know, non-believers they know. I mean, if you died this week and we did your funeral, would any lost people show up? You see, we need to say, okay, Lord, I need to build friends and relationships and I need to share the gospel with my neighbors, my coworkers. I need to befriend these people. Why? So I can bring, like Jesus did, the gospel outside the camp. There's one thing that I do not want our church ever become. I don't want us to become some country club for Christians where you just get comforted in your faith. No, folks, this is a mission-sending agency. You come here to get fired up and filled up and then go out and do what God's called you to do in this world. That's what the church is all about. Now, I love this um, quote from former missionary to China, C.T. Studd. He said this, 
Some people want to live in the sound of chapel bells. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That's Christ, right? That's Jesus. Jesus did his ministry outside the camp. And guess what? It got him crucified. And it will happen to us as well. If you really stand for Christ and bring the gospel and you love people, but you share the word of God, people are going to look at you strange. You start talking about Jesus and what he's done for them, people are going to think you're crazy. Some people will come to faith, but many will reject you and you're going to lose friends. You may lose your promotion at work. But you know what? We are to bear the name of Christ outside. Why? We're going to identify with Christ, but also we're going to identify with his reproach as well. But there's a sixth thing that we've got to do if we're going to live our faith out. And number six is this. Jot this down. We should worship God sacrificially. We should worship God sacrificially. Now, in the Old Testament, whenever a person would come to the temple to worship, they would always bring an animal for a sacrifice. That was the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Now, obviously, I see that none of you brought any animals here today to sacrifice to God as an act of worship because we know that Jesus Christ became our ultimate blood sacrifice that brings us to God. But did you know that as a Christian, you have sacrifices that you bring to the Lord as well? Like what? Well, one is the sacrifice of praise, and the second is the sacrifice of financial offerings, okay? Notice how this is written. Check it out. Look at it in verse 15. Through him, through Jesus, let us then continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. You and I, when we come together, the sacrifice that God's wanting from you is praise from your lips. That's what God's looking for. He wants to hear your praise. And in fact, what I want to do is I want to break down verse 15, just phrase by phrase. Let's look at this together. First phrase, through him. That means the only way we come into God's presence is through Jesus Christ. We do not get there on our own merit. Next phrase, let us. That means God wants us to be corporate. And we live in such an individualistic society that I don't need the church. I can worship God all by myself. God says, let us. He wants it to be corporate. Not only that, next phrase is continually offer up. That means that this needs to happen on a regular basis. What, what else, okay? It says, next phrase, praise to God. What does that mean? That means that the worship has to be about God. It has to be about, it's God-centered. I mean, listen, we have the audience of one here. You are not the audience. He in heaven is the audience. He's the one who's observing you and what's going on in your heart and life. One of the little pet peeves that I have about a lot of modern worship today is it's all about personal feeling, what I feel toward God. Look, that's fine, but the fact is that worship really needs to be about what God feels and who God is and what he's done for you. It's all about him, which leads to the last phrase, what is what? Acknowledge his name. That means that our worship needs to be Jesus-centered. It's not human-centered, it's Jesus-centered. That's what it's all about. See, you don't come here and I tell you about discovering your, your potential or how to f find the champion within you. No, it is all about Jesus here, folks. It's about Jesus' goodness and greatness and power and love. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Why? Because that's why we've come here. We are come to worship Jesus, okay? And when you do that, that's the first sacrifice that we offer to the Lord. But it's not just worship is a sacrifice. Also, when we give generously through offerings, that is a sacrifice as well. Notice the next verse, verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. 
And so when you come to church, what do you do? You bring your offerings, right? You bring your tithes and offerings. Whenever you, you know, give to God's kingdom or give to missionaries or ministry causes or you got a neighbor that's poor or they, they're, you know, they're down on their luck and you financially help your neighbor out, what is that? God says all of that. When you make that generosity, those sacrifice, sacrificial giving, that is an act of worship to Almighty God. And so part of living our Christian faith out is worshiping sacrificially. Well, there's one final thing he gives us if we're going to be a Christian that lives our faith out, and it's number seven is this. Jot this down. You need to lift up your church leaders. Lift up your church leaders. Now, hang with me here because I know that this may sound really self-promoting. Um, you know, um, oh, Pastor Tony came to tell us we need to lift him up, right? And so um, the fact is, is, here's the deal. God has chosen the church to be his vehicle of reaching and touching this lost world. And God in his sovereignty brings pastors to a church to help lead a church. Now, we don't do that perfectly. We make mistakes. We're just human, right? Um, but the fact is, is that, you know, those that seek to honor the Lord and lead the church well, you are to lift them up. Notice how this is written in verse 17. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, we've already learned in this chapter that pastors have a certain responsibility. We're to shepherd well. We're to, you know, guard your souls. We're to lead you well. We're to teach you the Word of God. We're to set a good example for you. All those things are found in chapter 13. And I realize that there are some pastors that may not do that very well. I know that there are some pastors that have abused people in their congregation. Those pastors need to be removed and never allowed to be a pastor again. I mean, for those that have, um, you know, basically they're dictatorial kind of pastors and they sort of browbeat the people. Well, you know, it's hard to follow those kind of people. But if you've got leaders that are seeking to honor Christ and follow Christ and lead you in humility, the Bible says you are to follow them and honor them and support them and what? And pray for them. Look at the next verse, verse 18. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Prayer. We need your prayer as we lead this church. We desperately need that. Now, what's interesting in this passage is that it uses a plurality. It's not leader, it's leaders. It's not pray for me, it's pray for us. Why? Well, I believe that one of the safeguards that we have in our church at Silverdale is a plurality of leaders. It's not just the Tony Walliser show here. There are 15 other lead pastors in our church. We have a number of staff. We've got a number of pastors and directors and deacons and other folks that, that lead in our congregation, but there are 15 of us that oversee all the ministries of our church. We meet every week. We pray together. We, we look at the ministries and try to lead this congregation well. You may go, well, who are the 15, you know, lead pastors or elders at our church? Well, let me show them to you real quick. There's me as a senior pastor, and then Steve Shoemaker's executive pastor, and Mark Randolph oversees all the worship and media. And then you have our lead campus pastors. That's Maddie Finley, Travis Jones, Randy Thomas, and Chuck Patrick. And then you have David Thompson, who oversees adult ministry. Matt Boone oversees Next Generation. That's preschool through college. And then you have Chuck Tanner oversees foreign missions and Gus Hernandez, local missions. 
And then you have Michael Steffi who oversees all the online ministries and Eddie Wilson oversees um, you know, seniors and Ben Shoning, marriage and family and Mark Habermas is pastoral care. And that's our senior leadership. And we don't do this in a vacuum. We also coordinate with a number of other pastors and leaders in our church. We, we have over 100 deacons that help serve alongside us in our church. We have a couple of hundred small group leaders that are in our church. We have like a 1,000 volunteers in our church. And praise God. I mean, God's doing amazing things in our church. But you know what? We need your support and we need your prayers as we lead this church to hopefully touch this world for Jesus Christ. And so that's Hebrews 13. Seven ways that you as a Christian will live your faith out. And I believe that as we do these seven things, the message of Jesus Christ will leave these walls and touch our community for Jesus Christ. In 1930, King George V, who was the king of England at the time, had a live radio broadcast that he wanted to um, be sent out to the English world. And um, it was a very important message. But something happened just before he started to speak. At the New York CBS studios, one person accidentally stepped and, and tripped over a cable and it snapped. And so one million radios literally went silent like that. Well, one engineer, his name was Harold Vivian, He came up with this idea real quick. He grabbed the two loose ends of this broken cable and he held them together. And literally, voltage went through his body. Now, it was low voltage, but still, he was shaking the entire time the king was giving his message and speech. And he kept hanging on to the very end till finally the king's message was laid out. Can I just tell you something? That's us. We're the conduit for Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus Christ is the one mediator between us and God. But you as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are that conduit through which the world hears the king's message. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, these are seven ways we are to live our faith out. And I believe that if we do this, there's a blessing for us. In fact, that's how this book ends. This chapter ends with a blessing. Check it out. Look at it. It's found in verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, here it is, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. May that blessing be yours as you seek to live your faith out. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, thank you so much for your word. And we confess that it convicts us, it cuts us, I fall short in so many of these areas. God, I'm asking that you empower us. Help us to not just be hearers of your word, but doers. And so, God, would you please, even right now, help us respond to how you've spoken to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the Connect Card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. 
You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale. And we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.